Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. He's joining us to discuss being a police officer in America's largest police department, the NYPD, and what he's doing since retiring. That's next on the Law Enforcement Today Show. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Pennsylvania, we have on the phone Michael Burke, also known as Mike the Cop. Thanks for joining us on Law Enforcement Day Show, brother. Much appreciated. No problem. Glad to be here. And it's a pleasure. You are retired NYPD, correct? Correct. And before we go into that, which, by the way, the the thought of being a police in America's biggest city. Now, I'm retired Baltimore, and we had our fair share of rough stuff. I know you guys did too, but people have a fascination, and rightfully so, uh, about what it's like to police in America's largest city. So I can't wait to have that conversation with you. Uh, since retiring, you've been a busy guy. You are involved in an organization which you helped co-start that's called Brothers Before Others. Tell us about that. Okay, so, you know, when social media started taking off, I guess Facebook really started to take root in 2000, maybe 11, 12, it started to get popular. All these police groups started popping up on Facebook all over the place, and I joined a few. You know, it was good to maybe have interaction with other cops and kind of one of those things you lose when you retire, right? You yeah. go to kind of a normal schedule and all your friends are still doing overnights and 4 to 12 wacky days off. So this is a way to kind of catch up with everybody. And then it started to spread to other cities and other states where friends retired to or maybe moved on to another career in law enforcement, their second career. What I started to notice was that Using social media, because it has its good and its bads, I was able to do things that I used to do when I was inside of a precinct or a command, which was, you know, get guys together for uh, a retirement party or some sort of, you know, action if we felt there was like an injustice or something like that. Uh So that's basically how the Brothers Before Others started, through Facebook. So you have a Facebook page. Uh, Do you have a website as well? Right. So the Facebook pages, there are a few. One of them is, well, the one that the officers are in is Brothers Before Others, but that's a private group. And the only way really to get into that group is if someone in there 
recommends you, and then you have to be approved to come into the group. And it's a small group. It's only, well, it's 4,500 people, so it's not small, but Facebook-wise, you know, internet-wise. I just got invited there, and it's, it's a, you know, it's great to be amongst my peers in an area where uh, you don't have to face stupid questions and you know because that happens it used to happen at cookouts it used to happen at cocktail parties and and i'm sure this has happened to you well we have a place we we have a place for that too we have a public page where we encourage you know civilians to enjoy as well well that's just the brothers before others that's the uh public page Right, they'll search Brothers Before Others public, and that will come up. And that's kind of what, after we have events, or if there are events that are civilian-friendly, because some of the stuff that we do is just for the officers, we'll post those things there, and the public can attend or see the things that we're doing, which then would encourage donation, because, you know, everything that we do is based based off a of donation. And I'm glad you brought that up. What is your are your donations for? What is it you do? Okay, so going back to what when we talked about with Facebook and how it started, uh, I can get right into that. In 2014, there was a councilman in New Jersey that, and you know, you see a lot more of it now. That this was kind of like the start of the bashing the cops. Well, we've always been bashed, but you know, with social media and stuff, a lot more. He went into a pet store and saved um, some animals from imminent death. And the councilman said, and he was injured. And the councilman said he was an idiot and stupid for going in there, basically blaming the cop for his injuries when all he was trying to do was, you know, save these animals. A heroic act, but to him was idiotic. And through Facebook and mobilizing people, we got him removed. Uh, he basically was a coward. He wouldn't show up at the council meeting, and he resigned because of the heat. So Wait a minute. at that point, I said, hey, we could... You mean there's someone who's a coward behind a keyboard? Uh, well, he actually did. He was a coward behind the keyboard and uh, at, at the community council meetings until there were actually someone there to answer back to him on his claims, and then he just didn't show up and he resigned. Yeah. But well, what I'm that bad. showed me was that we could use social media to to help the Brotherhood. Uh, the next event that happened, a very tragic one in 2014, was Melvin Santiago, who was a Jersey City police officer, was killed on the line of duty responding to a call Basically, what happened was the security guard was unarmed, uh, disarmed, and they used the perps used the gun to kill him. He never had a chance. Yeah. And growing up in Hudson County and from New Jersey, what we decided to do was send flowers to his, you know, funeral, which is not an uncommon thing, but it sparked the idea that maybe we could do that for every single line of duty death. And at that point, I had no knowledge of any other organization or anybody doing that. So that's basically the cornerstone of what Brothers Before Others is and how it started. We decided to send floral arrangements, uh, big ones, you know, like a heart with a blue line through it or a rectangle with the blue line and and a brotherhood saying on it or something like that at a cost of, you know, 275 to 325 a floral arrangement. I mean, we've been going at that since September 2014. We're well over $250,000 spent and we haven't missed the line of duty death since 2014, which unfortunately is over 700 at this point yeah. now, which is a mind-boggling number. It is mind-boggling, and just talking about it brings tears to my eyes because it brings back so many memories of, of, of men and women that I worked with. Some very good friends, some I barely knew, but all of them affected us tremendously. And and it, you know, being in Baltimore, when we had counterparts in, in New York City, that were killed in line of duty, it affected us the same way as if they worked in our department. It was deeply disturbing and still is. 
Right, and one of the things that, you know, I know some people, because like I said, we have the public page, and we do try to put up there the floral arrangements that we send out. And, uh, you know, you'll get a comment every once in a while from somebody that'll say, well, why don't you use that money to send to the officer's family for what they might need in the future? Which, you know, even at the beginning when we tried to start this up within, you know, police department circles, there were a few non-believers then because they would say, well, how are you going to get flowers to every single line of duty death because on average now it's we do one get ready for this every three days yeah so we start a process on say a monday for somebody who was killed in the line of duty a few days before and by the time those flowers are actually being sent we're doing another one so you know the idea sounded like a good idea, but actually to get it in place took a lot of work, and it's you know it's something that's not easy to do, but something that we felt needed to be done. And it takes because money. Like you, that sort of stuff isn't free, right? And like you said, you know, you're in Baltimore, so our our, our national flower fund represents our members, which are nationwide. So it, then the person, the officer, does obviously does not have to be a member of the group to receive the flowers, but since we have. You know, officers, sheriffs, deputies all over the country, uh, pretty much every state represented. We feel like, you know, listen, in New York City, in Baltimore, in Boston, in bigger cities, Detroit, Chicago, there might be a sea of floral arrangements, right? You've seen them uh, when there's a week or um, a viewing and there's, you know, so many flowers. But you start to talk about smaller sized apartments. I've had photos come back to me and there might be one or two, you know, arrangements and one of them is, is from us. So, and it's not signed by any one person. It's signed, it just basically says from your sisters and brothers around the country. And I can't tell you, you talk about tears in your eyes when I get those letters yeah. back from the family members thanking us for thinking of them. And they, their minds are blown because they're like, who are these people and where are they from? And they didn't know my brother, my sister, my husband, wife, etc. Uh, of all the survivors I've talked to uh, on the Law Enforcement Today show and, and I've known over the years, when I say survivors, where they've had a family member who was killed in line of duty, the one thing they all say to me it, repeatedly is they want people to remember their loved one. They want people to remember that officer who gave her life in a line of duty and was killed in line of duty. And they don't want people to forget. So the fact that you guys and gals do this, and it, it's a, a big thing, and it is emotional. Uh, for people, especially smaller agencies that have not gone through this, but it does. That kind of violence affects all of us across the United States. We're talking with Mike Burke, retired NYPD, uh, Brothers Before Others. Got lots of things to be talking about coming up in just a few moments on the Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Got an old car? You can donate it, whether it's running or not, to the United Breast Cancer Foundation and save a life. They'll even come and pick it up for free. The United Breast Cancer Foundation has saved hundreds of women's lives through their free or low-cost breast screen exams. But now they need your help. The United Breast Cancer Foundation wants to save more lives through early detection by offering women free or low-cost breast screening exams. And donating your old car, SUV, or truck, whether it's running or not, helps pay for them. Plus, you get a charitable tax deduction. Help the United Breast Cancer Foundation save lives by donating your old car, SUV, or truck. Call now for free pickup. 800-280-9435. 800-280-9435. 800-280-9435. 
Call right now. That number again is 800-280-9435. We all know that law enforcement, first responders, and military have dangerous jobs. They see and experience traumas that most can't even imagine. And all too often, that takes a toll leading to substance abuse, PTSD, and co-occurring mental health disorders. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to helping protect those who protect. Call 888-991-9725, online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. I'm a retired school psychologist and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. And we are back talking with Mike Burke. Is it Mike okay? Because you go by Mike the Cops, right? Yeah, Michael. Uh, if I hear the word Michael, I think I'm in trouble. Oh, that's the same uh, I way. get flashbacks but, when I was a kid, so Mike is good. <laughs> my real name is John Joseph Wiley. Jay's a family nickname, so people that know me for years call me Jay. Some right. call me John Jay. And by the way, I'm no relation to the college and I'm no relation to the publishers that are based out of New Jersey. I was born in New Jersey. I have a lot of family up there. So it's always like a homecoming when I go to northern Jersey. Although nice. right now it's too cold up there. I prefer to be where we are. You did a, a full career. Well, not quite a full career. What's normal uh, length before retirement in the NYPD? So NYPD is 20 and then you're out. I did um, 15. I was hurt in the line of duty quite a few times, and then I retired in 2002 based on, you know, those injuries, cumulative injuries. I get that. You know, I've had, I was talking about with someone a while ago, you know, I've had uh, three surgeries on my right hand and wrist and uh, one on my shoulder about five years ago. And the shoulder was, I got hit by a car, a glancing blow after I got out of a police car uh, a long time ago, and it healed up. But then over the years, you know, I don't know if anybody who did a long-term police career, I can't speak for firefighters because I'm not one, but that doesn't get dinged up and banged up and have a host of physical injuries. It's almost impossible to do this job and not get not get hurt. Oh, sure, and a lot of them don't come into play till you know, when you're getting close to retirement. I mean, I'm talking, I'm, I'm, when I say three or four, I'm referring to surgeries. There are plenty of other times where I got banged up and I'm feeling those those pains now, but I mean, I'm here, right, so... Well, that's why God invented Florida, so you can get away from all that cold and come down here like the rest of us retirees. 
my wife, who's uh, uh, an angel, she lets me do all this charity work and stuff, so I'm away from home a lot, always says to me, because, you know, we're not a check-in-the-mail charity. When we have these events, officers killed in Detroit, in Cleveland, uh, all over the country, obviously we can't go to every single one, but when we can, we're in the van or we're flying out and we're bringing, you know, the flowers. We make shirts and hats and stuff like that. And she always says, why, you know, we need to go to, like, Boca or Florida yeah, or you know, someplace I, I, warm. I'm You're in, always going cold places. I'm in Palm Beach County. You know, Robert Greenberg, CEO of Law Enforcement Today, is in Boca Raton and is chilly. We've had a cold stretch. When we talk cold, it's like 60, 64 in the daytime, 45 at night. And then I talked to my daughters in Buffalo, New York, and they had two inches of snow an hour and 15 degrees. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to complain. It's pretty good here. Yeah, it's eight degrees here right now. I'm in the Pocono Mountains, and the snow is ridiculous. I'm not even looking outside because I got to shovel or plow like two or three times a day. It's really bad right now. So let's talk about policing in New York. You did a long career. Uh, Bird's eye view from start to finish. So I, I come on the job in, in the uh, mid to late 80s. I graduate from the academy, police academy in 1987. So I'm right smack dab in the middle of the crack era. Yeah. Um, and I'm assigned to Midtown South, which is Times Square area. So basically that's where all the criminals are going to congregate because that's where the tourists were still going. So that's, you know, that, that's their prey. That's the big pond, right, Times Square. And, uh, you know, we always said it was the, the free ticket to the greatest show on earth. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I was very busy and a lot of work, but I wouldn't trade it, you know, for anything in the world. I got to really see how things operate and it helped me later on in my career because I was involved in a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah. So Times Square in, in the mid eighties, um, I got hurt a few times there, nothing serious. And then transferred to, you know, a lot quieter precinct, which would be downtown Manhattan. So I went from the Midtown South, which is the busiest in the world, that's what it's called, to the first precinct, which would cover, so people that are listening would understand, uh, major places like the South Street Seaport, the Financial District, Canal Street, uh, where the Statue Battery Park, where the Statue of Liberty is, and of course, you know, the World Trade Center. So it just goes to show you with policing, you can work in the busiest place in the world and and have, you know, minor things happen. And then you could be working in what's considered a slower place. And then we had what happened in 1993, which was the uh, World Trade Center bombing. Um, and I was the first uh, officer in the building and one of the last to leave uh, on that day. One of the times that I hurt my knee, blew out my knee at the, at the World Trade Center. A lot of people forget about the first bombing and uh, the things strolly about 9-11. Both were catastrophic. The first bombing, and I have very little memory of it, but involved the, the blind sheik. I don't want to give his name. Uh, right. And it was a bomb. And is it a U-Haul truck or something that was inside? Right, a U-Haul garage? truck, and they drove it down into the parking garage a few levels down, and then it exploded. And, uh, you know, that their plan then was to take the buildings down then, but that didn't work. But still caused, I, I'm not sure the number, I think it was nine or ten uh, civilian deaths and, and a host of injuries. And you were one of the first people on the scene. Right. So I was actually, I had an early meal that day because, you know, in police departments and all things people understand is we don't get like a, you know, noon meal. You go when they tell you you can go. So I had a 10 o'clock meal uh, starting work at 730 in the morning, 10 o'clock meal. We were in the precinct, which was probably three quarters of a mile to a mile away. And when the bomb went off, our building shook. That's how powerful about the bomb was. And uh, we weren't sure what it was, but, you know, we knew something was up. So we just traveled. We went, got in the car and the call started coming over. 
And uh, when I got there, I saw the smoke coming out of the parking garage, and I went down below, you know, three levels. I actually, ironically, used to deliver computer paper there, so I was very familiar with the building. So when I got down to the third level, I saw, I was actually right where the, where the bomb exploded, and the, and the hole was the size of a house. Uh, and you could see down to the next level. And I knew then uh, I, st- I started to lose, uh, not lose consciousness, but I really couldn't breathe that well because I had no, you know, apparatus on and the smoke and everything was just in- insane. I can't even begin so to So I left the building. I actually followed the firemen. The firemen then got there and I actually followed their rope or whatever they laid out to get back outside. And then I spent the next 10 or 11 hours in the building, transversing the stairs, bringing civilians out. You could not see, uh, you know, a foot in front of you. There was so much smoke in the staircases and the elevators didn't work. Yeah, of course, they they, they don't work. You don't want to use them, especially in situations of fire. Right. We have prior conversations with people and there's a current, the media nowadays and and social media in particular where it's anti 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 police and it's so distrusting and uh, so negative and and they love to paint these stereotypes of well they were just bullied or they want to harm people when you were at the world trade center for first bombing i'd be willing to bet not one person had any of those thoughts in their mind they just want someone to come help them exactly i mean you know the same thing can be said from 93 even more so uh, 9-11. And now, so 9-11, I should have been working, and I only worked three, I literally in the shadows, I worked in the shadows of the trade center, I was three blocks away. But I had a knee surgery from a prior injury scheduled for the 17th, but a doctor called and said, hey, we have a, a date opened up for you, would you like to come in on the 8th? So I jumped at it because I was banged up and I needed the surgery. So instead of being at work where I should have been on the 11th, I was home recovering um, you know, from the surgery. And I, and I was home, you know, all during the initial uh, recovery, uh, when it turned into recovery, uh, you know, down at the, uh, what was called the pile. And uh, when I finally did get back to work in November, that sense was still there. People were still, everybody loved the police, everybody loved the fire department. And unfortunately, you know, as time went on, that kind of fades and it gets back to, you know, uh, I've never seen it like this is the worst I've ever seen it the way it is now. And I don't know how the guys and girls are doing it out there. I've never seen it this bad. But, yeah, it fades, you know, over time when the tragedy fades and people's memories start to go towards the next thing. They kind of forget about it. And then you're just back to, you know, the cops, the ones that do this, that and the other instead of the heroes that, you know, they, they thought you were or we are, but they don't recognize that anymore. I went to visit uh, New York City, I guess it was about five years after nine eleven, five six years. And it's before they had the memorial built. They had a lot of construction there. And I walked up, and there's two NYPD officers there on a detail. Is that what we call it? You know, detailed. Right. And they're yep, there for, for people to answer questions. Hopefully they want the overtime. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and I went up to him, and I introduced myself. And I said, you know, I'm a retired Baltimore uh, police sergeant. And I, and, I, and I said, I couldn't understand and comprehend what it must have been like for them and their, their brothers and sisters in the agency lose that many people in one day. And I still cannot comprehend it. And I'll be honest with you. I like to think I'm a tough guy, but I broke down right in front of them. And uh, right. you know, they understood. They didn't have to say a word. We are talking with Mike the Cop, Michael Burke, a retired NYPD, uh, founder of Brothers Before Others, or co-founder. He probably doesn't want to take credit for it. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. 
That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603-800-451-8603-800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. And we are back to our conversation with Mike the Cop, Michael Burke, retired NYPD. We've just met on the phone for the first time today. Uh, We've wanted to have this interview for quite a while. Uh, I'm familiar with a lot of things you do with our partner, Kyle Reyes. And uh, Eric Brennan from uh, Baltimore County Police Department said, you got to talk to this guy. So I'm glad we finally made it happen. But it's funny, it almost feels like I've known you for years because there's an instant understanding where both of us have come from without Correct. having to explain. And I, I don't encounter that in too many areas in society. Some with combat veterans, I get it, they get me. Some with firefighters, I get it, they get me. But I only really get that 100% of the time with other former law enforcement officers. And it, it's very comforting. Right, which is why I, fe- I felt, you know, I was retired for a while before we started Brothers Before Others. I was probably out, you know, I retired when I was 35. So, I mean, that's, some people are just starting careers at that age. But, you know, I couldn't go on because of the injuries, three knee surgeries, a discectomy, a piece of my hip bone is now a disc in my neck and stuff like that. You know, so I, I couldn't do the police job anymore, but I still had a lot, you know, I got a lot of things I want to get done on this earth before I say goodbye. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So I miss the, the camaraderie and the stuff, and to be able to talk to people is kind of like what you're saying now, which is why, uh, you know, one day I was looking for a way to, like, say goodbye or, like, have a, a sign-off, right? And so Brothers Before Others, just the name just popped into my head, and I just buy up domain names like they're candy. And I, the first thing I did was I looked up that name, and I could not believe that it wasn't taken. And then from that point forward, you know, through all the different things that we did, you know, Brothers Before Others took off. But the main thing was a place on Facebook, a private group, where, like you said, guys and gals can go and have conversations, non-judgmental, talk about their day at work, because you know, and, and a lot of listeners might not, but there are, we see some horrible things. And, uh, you know, you don't want to take that home to your family. You kind of want to, it's what we do as officers, we close that locker and we and and just like we close it off in our minds, we internalize it, and we carry a lot of that stuff around with us, which is why we have a high suicide rate, yep. the divorce rates high, and stuff like that. So I felt like if we had this group, maybe it would just alleviate a little bit of that. We can get back to that, you know, take care of each other kind of mentality, uh, which is one of the other things with Brothers Before Others. People hear that name and. You know, for the not for the silent majority, but for the people that are looking for reasons to attack police, you know, they say, "Oh, brothers before others." That means you take care of cops first, and and I say, "Yeah," and yeah. unapologetically so, we do. I don't have a problem with that, right? But you know, I will do that every day, right? Right. But what happens? What I feel is, if you have a healthy, happy, functioning police officer, rather than someone who's cynical or burnt out or is just going in there clocking in because he wants to get home because he's been burned so many times by either the public or his own department. You know, it happens. Uh, if you have a healthy, happy cop, they are better uh, equipped to serve the community. So it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, someone drowning or a plane that's crashing. They always tell you, take the oxygen and take care of yourself first, right. and then you can help other people. So that's the concept we try to apply to this. You know, we're four and a half years in, almost five years in now, and it seems to be, you know, working just fine because we do a lot of other things besides, you know, the flower fund. Well, you brought up a great point. And I kind of all the time with law enforcement today, uh, our Facebook page and uh, in particular, we have posts about certain things that they'll say, there's people that have this conception in their mind that police will always cover for other police when they do things that are criminal or bad behavior, and this thin blue line, blue wall thing that I've been hearing about, and I've been hearing about it since the 80s. And to be honest with you, I don't know of anybody in police work that would ever tolerate anything from someone illegal. The Serpico days were a long time ago. And things have changed. And so we say, I will take care of brothers before others. It doesn't imply that I'm going to look the other way because they're doing things that are inherently criminally wrong. None of us wants that. Of course not. Of course not, because that makes our job so much more harder in the policing world and in the charitable world as well. I mean, you know, we want to go into the communities that we serve, and a lot of times they're communities that have less than, and you want to go in and you want to try to help them, and they have, you know, not all, but some have the attitude like, well, that's the guy who did this, or they covered this for this, or they covered for that. And, you know, feelings and emotions definitely have a place in conversation, but what we've lost in the last probably 10 to 15 years is we don't start conversation from position of fact. 
Right. We start we start with feelings and emotions, which they have a place, but you have to start from a place of truth or, you know, some semblance of it. Otherwise, it's just, you know, two people, and then you multiply that by so many, yelling and screaming at each other, and nothing ever gets done. So we're trying to do it by deeds and not words, and hopefully people see this stuff over time, and they see, oh, they're not so bad, and, you know, oh, look what they're doing here, or look what they're doing there, and it has a positive effect. Absolutely. Uh, it's 100% correct. People will say, and this is something I get quite a bit. I'm sure you've seen it too. And uh, it takes hold, especially in social media immediately. Someone gets stopped for a traffic citation. And they'll say, the officer stopped me because of the color of my skin or my sexual orientation or how I identify or something of that nature. And they believe it as fact when all you have to do, and people listening right now can do this. If you're in your car, look at the vehicle in front of you and tell me the gender the age and the race of the person that's in the car, or better yet, how many people are in that car. 99% of the time, law officers can't even tell until they have you stopped. Right, and then, you know, that that's a perception that's out there, and then the other thing that's really hard to combat is when you have people of in positions of authority, the woman in California, I'm not even going to say her name, was running for president, that she says cops or predators. You know, recently in New Jersey, we had a head of uh, diversity training and the CEO of a hospital back her ridiculous statements up where she said, in regards to a great story, which was armed police officers being put into schools to protect the children, her response was, who's going to train those cops not to shoot black kids first? I mean, such outlet. Now, this is a woman who is an accomplished in New Jersey, an attorney, has done a lot of great things, and people look up to her saying something like that. And, you know, that kind of false rhetoric, when it, it's totally not backed up by the facts, the FBI stats and stuff like that, is, is what get, gets people hurt. It's a contributing factor into, you know, what happens out there on the streets. And for anybody to say that, oh, it's just words and it doesn't matter, put our shoes on, put our gun belts on, and go out into the street and, and hear what people say to you when you're trying to do, you know, an enforcement type situation, they're like verbatim, like yelling at you things yeah. that they've heard or read online or from another person in the middle of you just trying to gather, you know, basic pedigree information. Right. So if you can't even get that done on the streets because of the stuff that's being said, imagine when it comes time for, you know, real police work where you have to put your hands on somebody or something like that. They just feel emboldened and like they can do whatever they want. And I, I do believe, it's just my personal opinion, that the news media is a major contributor to that because, well, I don't know how it is in New York and Baltimore, the slogan was, if it bleeds, it leads. And they always start the story with the end first. You know, the police officer shoots man. They don't talk about everything else that happened before. And that's all people right. read. Or they the use those words like, you know, those those words to incite people like unarmed. When we, you know, I know you know the stats. I'm going to say them just for listeners to hear them so they can see how ridiculous it is. The latest FBI stats, uh, 99.5% of all police interaction where, where there was a death involved was with armed assailants. 99.5. Yeah. Of the 0.5%, which, can't, which comes out to like... 333, I believe. A third of those, the officer went to less lethal force first. So, I mean, we are the most restrained, the American police officers, the most restrained police officer over the last 10 decades, uh, five decades, 50 years, is what we have in this country right now. But you wouldn't know that if you just turned on the nightly news. You'd think, you know, we're running out, running around here just looking to shoot people. 
insane and before we go to break a lot of people need to understand too many many i don't have the numbers but in my case it's what ended my career many law enforcement officers who are killed in line of duty are shot and killed with their own service weapon uh, that's what ended my career that's what caused all my surgeries and uh, he was in the very beginning an unarmed man but he didn't stay unarmed when he tried to shoot me with my own service weapon you listen to law enforcement Today's show we'll take a short break we'll be right back are you working so hard to make a living you can't take time to make any real money is every day the same boring routine going nowhere and the money runs out before the month my name is ron legrand and for over 35 years now i've been helping clients take their life back by buying and selling houses with no money credit experience or license if you'll call 800-956-0677 24 hours and leave a message i'll send you my new book and cd absolutely free so you can see how I've bought hundreds of houses and trained thousands to do the same. Call 800-956-0677. Get your free starter kit until 500 are gone. You'll learn how to make a full-time income on a part-time basis without risk, largely tax-free, and get 90% of the work done for you for pennies. That's 800-956-0677. 800-956-0677. Again, 800-956-0677. That's 800-956-0677. The opioid epidemic is affecting countless lives, including young adults. Did you know approximately 45% of opioid prescriptions to adolescents are made by dentists, often after wisdom teeth removal? These drugs carry risks, but you can help reduce your risk or the risk for a loved one. If prescribed an opioid, ask your dentist to consider limiting prescriptions to three days, using over-the-counter pain relievers, and properly disposing of unused medications. For more information, go to Shatterproof.org. This has been a message from Shatterproof, United Healthcare, and this station. Joining us on the phone, calling from Pennsylvania, retired NYPD, Officer Michael Burke. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, I appreciate no your problem. service, and I don't say this often enough. Thank you for your service. Um, Thank you. I've been, Thank you, you know, for yours as well, brother. Because people say to me more since I've been retired than I ever did when I was on the job. Uh, and secondly, I think we need to say to each other more because we understand what that means. And I've been lax in doing that uh, with my with my police brothers and sisters. Uh, more I have to do it with military. but So that's something I'm trying to make a conscious effort to change. And I think, you know, people would be surprised just away from the child to the police officer or away from a civilian while the, while the police officer is driving by or you know, thank you for your service. You know, we can have be having a really crappy day, and that could be that pick-me-up that gets you through the rest of the day. Crap, you know, sometimes maybe the week, you know, that you, you're, you're, I can just tell you from brothers before others, uh, when people, the cops, put a lot of the things that the cops and deputies and stuff are spo- posting are things like that. Oh, I was having a rough day, and this little boy came up to me with his mom, and he wanted to hand me this note, or someone paid for my, you know, coffee, or, you know, my meal, and they wanted to thank us for our service, and, you know, that's something that, you know, it doesn't happen that often but when it does it you know it does mean a lot we when we had slow moments which wasn't often because i was in a busy busy district uh one of the highlights of my career as a police officer was just spending time with neighborhood kids on my post and getting to hang out with them and talk to them and and just you know how's your day how's school things and that's something that the pleasant memories i will take with me forever because you said there's a lot of unpleasant things we see 
I don't Correct. care how, how good, how tough, how strong you are, male or female, those make an impression and they change us. And it's it's difficult not to let it overwhelm you. So I think it's good to look at the positive things as well. And that's what we're trying to do with Brothers Before Others. That's the side of it too. Like everybody's, people are like, oh, that's great that you went out and did that for the community. I can't tell you how many times I'll just run through a list of just the, some of the things that we've done where it's changed. I've had cops who said they were burnt out and on the, you know, on the edge of like, I don't want to do this job anymore. No one appreciates anything. And then they meet a family or a circumstance and they say, wow, this kind of like re-energized me. Do you remember when they called the guy the Facebook killer and he shot somebody? Uh, the the, the, the um, gentleman's name was Robert Godwin. It was in Cleveland. He was just walking on the street and oh, the guy yeah. had a live camera and he shot him and killed him. Yeah, I remember now, yes. So in our group, somebody said, oh, they sent him $50 to our account, our PayPal account, and then they put his name on it. And the next thing I know, you know, unsolicited, within a day, we had $6,000 raised. Uh, a few months later, we got in our van, we drove out to Cleveland, and we presented the mom and her two little boys, you know, with that $6,000, which some people say, well, it's not, not 6000 When you're working uh, as a single mom and you're, you know, flipping burgers or working in, in a fast food industry, $6,000 could be, you know, a third of her salary for the year. So it had an impact. Or Flint, Michigan, when, you know, they still have the water problems out there. We, Like I said, we're national. So our Detroit officers, we raised some funds. We, we bought a bought out a truck, we rented a truck, and we filled it top to bottom with cases of water, drove the, you know, water to Flint, Michigan. We're constantly doing hospital visits. And, you know, these are things for civilians, right? So it is Brothers Before Others, but these are the things that we're doing for civilians in the communities that we serve. Uh, hospital visits for sick kids, both Christmas in July, you know, and in December to ho- uh, children's hospitals all over the country, in Boston, San Diego, Broward County, New Jersey, New York. Um, you know, things like that. So that's the kind of stuff that we want to continue to do. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate you giving me the time to come on here because, you know, there used to be a saying, charity is only charity if it's shared between the person giving and receiving. It ain't like that no more, brother. Right. When, in these times, you need to use social media. We need to get the word out there. And, you know, the more people that know what we're doing and visit the website and, you know, uh, listen to your radio podcasts and law enforcement today and stuff like that, there has to be uh, a counterpoint to what's going on out there in the mainstream media as far as portrayals of police officers. And like you saw, when you go to brothersbeforeothers.org, our website, we basically generate our own news as well. We're writing our own stories based on things that we did. I mean, we get media coverage as well sometimes, but we're writing our own stories and then getting them out there and sharing them on Facebook and with the help of Law Enforcement Today and Law Enforcement Daily and places like that, uh, it gets the word out nationally again because we are a national organization and helps us you know, raise these funds that we need to do to continue this mission because I don't know if I said this earlier, um, you know, we spent over $200,000 on the flowers uh, in the last four and a half to five years and probably another 250000 on these other endeavors that we've taken on. And that's all been raised internally from 4,500 officers. So as you can imagine, I'm going to the well so many times. Uh, it's time for us to start getting out there more into the public and you yeah. know, trying to get some help. And it, what really galls me is that the general public relies on the news media, whether it be television, radio, 
or the print to tell them what's going on. And they, they do a horrible job portraying what police officers actually do. And things like this really don't get much publicity. Uh, and it's up to us to start telling our own stories because, well, quite frankly, we've relied on people who are unreliable for too long to do this. Right. And I think it's in, in every officer's best interest. And I think moving forward as this you know trend, because it is a pendulum, hopefully it'll swing back again towards more you know common sense type thinking because after all if we're not it's anarchy if we're not there and some people i think want that you know what i mean but i think the majority of people do not and it takes sometimes a wake-up call and hopefully you know enough has gone on where the, it'll, the pendulum will start to swing back our way but the days of waiting for that pendulum to swing are over we need to start pushing it back you know in the other direction and, and when people say things about us that are not true they're not accurate they're not based in fact we need to push back and, and say hey that's not correct uh, and hold people accountable so with all these things you do with brothers before others again this is not cheap you've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars you raising most of the money internally are you doing some external things to generate revenue for these flowers well, it's funny that you mentioned Kyle Reyes before because he just basically, the last time I spoke to him, he got me in the corner and shook me. He's like, why aren't you going after, you know, like a, a flower, a national flower? I don't know if I could say, like, names of companies on the show sure. or not, but national like flower or some of them, businesses. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, like a, a FTD or 1-800-Flowers. Now, originally, a few years ago, I did have a meeting set up, but I canceled it because I didn't really feel comfortable yet but now that we've been doing this for almost five years and we have those kind of expenditures and we are established that's the next natural step i feel like it's a perfect marriage with them but you know you have to see how that plays out with you know you have to go through a lot of people and there's a lot of different reasons why they would say yes or no um but we are partnering you know uh with other um media agencies you know pro law enforcement to try to get the word out there and you know as we do that you know Maybe you have, because uh, all it takes is one big donor that believes in what you're doing that can really push us, you know, to the next level. But it's hard because there's a lot of people that want slices of the pie and, there's, you know, there's only so much to go around, yeah. you know? Well, so, I know you know that. Uh, you're in the business a long time yeah. as well. <laughs> and, and everybody, a lot of, lots of people have their hands out too. And I'd love to help everybody, but you can't, uh, time and money-wise. Are people able to go to your website and make a donation there? Yeah, so if you go to brothersbeforeothers.org, there's a, you know, quite a few tabs on there, but one of them is donate. You can go to that tab, click on it. It's a PayPal donation, and, that, and those funds would go directly into our account. There's also a way you can write check or money order for people like me who don't do a lot of internet banking. Uh, there's an address on there where you can send checks that way. And um, and they can go to our public page. Like I said, bros, before this public, there's links on there to to our Instagram. We have an Instagram as well. All searchable by the words brothers before others. And by the way, if all that fails and you can't remember that, just contact me at Law Enforcement Today and I'll send an email or forward your email to a Michael of Brothers Before Others and make sure he gets the information. So for all the florists and other companies that want to help, want to do something, this is a great way to get involved reach out to him if not like i said reach out to me and i'll forward that information to him michael burke thank you so much for your time very much appreciated man thank you brother the law enforcement today radio show has grown so much and so rapidly we now have two facebook pages you can do a search on facebook for 
Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's a new page. Be sure to click like when you get there and follow. In addition, we have our main page, which is Law Enforcement Today. So do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today and be sure to click like and follow that one as well. If you want to tell your story of survival and how you recovered and how you rebuilt your life, feel free to contact us. We'd love to have you as a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. We made it so easy to get a hold of us, too. There's many different ways. Go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. The Contact Us page is the webpage. You can contact us on our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. Heck, send me an email. My email address is j, that's J-A-Y, at lawenforcementtoday.com. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us here at Law Enforcement Today. On behalf of everyone associated with the show and the website, this is John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya.